Well, happy Thanksgiving. So it's this Thursday. It seems like it should have been here a couple of weeks ago, but it's finally here. And maybe your Thanksgiving feels like the mom on the left or maybe the mom on the right. I don't know which way you feel about it now or you will come Thursday, but I do hope that you'll take the advice in this humorous clip and enjoy the season and slow down, be with family, and most of all, give thanks to God for everything that He has done and for the great God that He is. But I also know that sometimes we don't feel like giving thanks. I know sometimes life is hard, there's pain, there's suffering. I know that we are depressed, we're down. Even a holiday can't lift us up, or the holiday is what's bringing us down in the first place. So life is not always easy, and not always emotions come that want us to thank God. Often life is the opposite, where we just don't feel like saying thank you. We don't even feel like saying thank you to God. And so this morning we are going to look at Psalm 69, where, of course, it's just two psalms over from Psalm 67, Wanda. So how appropriate is that? And this is a psalm of David, and it is a psalm that he wrote, a song that he sang giving thanks, praising God, even when he didn't feel like it. So we're going to learn how to do that this morning. Psalm 69 begins this way. Save me, God, for the water has risen to my neck. I have sunk in deep mud, and there is no footing. I have come into deep water, and a flood sweeps over me. I am weary from my crying, my throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without cause are more numerous than the hairs of my head. My deceitful enemies who would destroy me are powerful. Though I did not steal, I must repay. This is how David feels. He feels this way because his enemies are surrounding him. His enemies are more numerous than the hairs of his head. I imagine he had lots of hair on his head, okay? I doubt he was bald and he has no enemies. He must have had a lot of hair. And all of that hair reminds him of all the numbers of enemies that he has. And they hate him without cause. In fact, his life feels like he is barely surviving as the water comes up to his neck and he feels trapped and he feels like he's sinking as though in quicksand or in deep mud. I don't know if you've ever felt those literally, those physical sensations, those moments of panic where you do feel like your life is coming to an end. I hope you haven't. I had one moment, I probably wasn't in danger as much as I thought as I panicked in that moment. But when I was in college and we were tubing on the New River near Blacksburg and I got out of my tube and was away from the tube swimming in water that eventually got too deep for me. And I remember for an instant seeing the tube far away, seeing the shore far away, 
uh, feeling how deep the water was and for an instant panicked and wondered whether I would make it either to the tube or to the shore or whether it was going straight down that I was going to be. And for a moment, I still remember that sense of panic that my life might end and how stupid it was to end in that way of drowning in the river. Maybe you haven't had that physical sensation. I've certainly been in mud where my shoes stayed there or my boots stayed there and my legs and feet came out. I've been in that kind of mud. I've never been in quicksand where you're going down and down and your neck is going like this and you're about to go under and die. But that's the emotion. David's trying to tell us how he feels. He is panicking. He feels like his life could almost end, or if it's not, he probably feels like he wouldn't care if it did end. This is how he feels. He feels this way because of these enemies that surround him. You may not have felt that physical panic or entrapment or felt like your life was ending. But all of us have had times in our life where the burdens of life, have made us feel as though our throat is parched and we're seeking for God and He doesn't feel close and our eyes are weary from tears. If we live long enough, we all experience that. Maybe it is a physical burden. Even babies get sick and all of us know at some point in life what it's like to be sick and others with more serious diseases and some with chronic diseases and that burden of Ill health can weigh heavily on us. Or a financial burden of not knowing how we're going to pay the bills. Maybe we're not paying the bills and they're just piling up. The stress of that, especially here at Christmas, if you've ever felt that, and the the desire to splurge on children but not having the money. It can be spiritual, wanting to be close to God, but don't feel close. Even if you pray and even if you sing and you come to church, it doesn't feel like God is close. Maybe there are relationships, a spouse, a son, a daughter, a sibling, a friend. You want that relationship to be close. You want it to be right, but it's not. There's hurt, there's pain, there's uh, sin, there's unforgiveness, and that relationship is strained and broken. Even church can be a burden at times when you are serving the Lord and you want it to be joyful and want it to be fruitful and successful, but there are seasons maybe when it's not. And it's drudgery and you feel as though you're not making a difference and you feel as though no one appreciates it and it feels like no one else wants to join you and it becomes a burden. Work can be the same way, getting up every morning, doing your work, Doing the same thing day after day after day, it's joyless and there's no meaning in it. And you feel as though it's a burden. And even family. We celebrate family at Thanksgiving and at Christmas. And often we do see people we don't see the rest of the year. And for a lot of families that's good. For some families that's bad. That's, there's a reason you don't see them the rest of the year. And so it can be stressful. When family comes together, there's not always that love and warmth and a house isn't always a home. 
So these burdens for a season, sometimes a long extended time, can make us feel like David did. Like we're barely above water. We're sinking in quicksand. That's how David felt. What made it worse for David, maybe it's this way for you, is that it's not your fault. That's what David says in verse 5 through 12 as he cries out to God, telling God as God already knows, but David wants to make sure he understands what's going on, that David's not at fault for everything he's suffering through. David sings, God, you know my foolishness and my guilty acts are not hidden from you. Do not let those who put their hope in you be disgraced because of me, Lord God of armies. Do not let those who seek you be humiliated because of me, God of Israel. For I have endured insults because of you, and shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons because zeal for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. I mourned and fasted, but it brought me insults. I wore sackcloth as my clothing, and I was a joke to them. Those who sit at the city gate talk about me, and drunkards make up songs about me. David is in a situation where he's the talk of the town, but not in a, a good way that brings him joy. He's the talk of the town because people see him and they're mocking him and they're laughing at him. In fact, when they go down to the bar and they're drinking songs and they're drunk, they'll sing a song about David. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be a lot of fun. Let's sing that one. Remember the one about David? And so they sing these songs. Even though he has not done anything wrong. In fact, his religious zeal, his desire to be close to God is stronger than it's ever been. But even when he is showing his mourning because of his sin and he's fasting and he's wearing sackcloth and ashes. They just mock him, laugh at him. He knows that it's not because of sin. Even though he admits that he's a sinner, he says to God, God, you know my sin. I'm not innocent in sin. But this suffering, this persecution is not my fault. So isn't that true, that when we're hurting and it's not our fault, it makes the pain even worse? When we're getting what we deserve, we may not like it, but we kind of understand it. But here David is seeking God, and he's fasting, and he's praying, and he wants to be close to God, and he is close to God. In fact, because he's close to God, that's why he's being persecuted. Fortunately, we don't know, as American Christians, what true persecution is. I'm glad of that, but it, I have to remind myself that there are brothers and sisters in the Lord who do know what it is. Those in communist countries, those in the Middle East especially, face persecution that we can't even imagine. I try to imagine what it would be like to have to worship in secret because if I was found out, I could be imprisoned, my family could be taken away from me, or I could even be killed. 
You know, I, I try to imagine, what, can you try to imagine what a life would be like, a culture would be like where you can't even say Jesus, can't have a Bible. If you tell someone about Jesus, that could be the end of your life. Our brothers and sisters face that. And so we don't really know what it's like to be persecuted. But we do know what it's like to be ridiculed for our faith. We do know what it's like to suffer consequences because we make a stand for Christ. We know what it's like to share Jesus and people to reject it. It feels like they're rejecting us. So we have a a hint of it. I'm thankful we don't know it fully, and I pray for our brothers and sisters who unfortunately do know what it is like to be truly persecuted. But David first said he wasn't suffering because of his sin. So let's begin there. Uh, my advice to you this morning is if you're suffering the consequences of your sin, confess it and repent. The consequences of sin can be stark. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians that some Christians in Corinth were sick physically and some had died literally because of their sin. Sin breaks relationships. Sin uh, destroys homes. It can make work miserable, church miserable. All those burdens that I was talking about earlier can come as a result of sin. And if that's what you're facing, don't blame someone else. Don't blame it on God. Confess your sin and repent. The wonderful promise we have is from Jesus, and it says this in 1 John, where John says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if that's where you are today, confess your sin, repent. That's not where David was. David certainly had sin and had times where he did have to confess and repent. And he did suffer the consequences of sin. But that's not Psalm 69. In Psalm 69, he has done nothing wrong to receive the persecution, to receive the insults, to receive the derision and the joking that he has received. If you ever find yourself there, I encourage you, don't give up. Even as our, I know as our culture becomes more and more anti-Christian, and especially as that anti-Christianity spreads more from the urban areas of our country and comes to our rural areas, we are going to have to make more stands for Christ. And we're going to have to be more bold and more courageous because the darkness is trying to snuff out the light. As that may come in small places and and may come in your life, stand firm. As it becomes stronger and more prevalent, let us all stand firm and don't give up. David didn't. And the heroes and heroines of our faith didn't give up either when faith brought persecution and suffering. The psalm begins with David hurting, drowning, sinking, his enemies surrounding him. But that's not the end of the psalm. David knows where to go. He prays. He prays to God and says this. But as for me, Lord, 
My prayer to you is for a time of favor. In your abundant, faithful love, God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the miry mud. Don't let me sink. Let me be rescued from those who hate me and from the deep water. Don't let the flood water sweep over me or the deep swallow me up. Don't let the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, for your faithful love is good. In keeping with your abundant compassion, turn to me. Don't hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. Come near to me and redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know the insults I endure, my shame and disgrace. You are aware of all my adversaries. Insults have broken my heart and I am in despair. I waited for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but found no one. Instead, they gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table set before them be a snare, and let it be a trap for their allies. Let their eyes grow too dim to see, and let their hips continually quake. Pour out your rage on them, and let your burning anger overtake them. Make their fortification desolate. May no one live in their tents, for they persecuted the one you struck and talk about the pain of those you wounded. Charge them with crime on top of crime. Do not let them share in your righteousness. Let them be erased from the book of life and not be recorded with the righteous. David's prayer at the end sounds very dark, even violent, unbecoming of a child of God. But I want you to hear in his words a desire for God to bring justice. I imagine if we were truly persecuted, we would also cry out for justice. Remember, this is a song, it's poetry. It uses exaggerated language. It uses raw emotion. David's not saying he's going to do this to his enemies. He's praying for God to bring justice to those who strike against God's children. But I want to focus on the first part of David's prayer because he prayed to an abundant, a God abundant in faithful love and to a God abundant in compassion. David knew who to turn to. David was looking for someone to talk to, someone to comfort him. But David said, I didn't find anybody. That may be true sometime in your life. You're looking for someone who understands or you're looking for someone who could help you. And you're looking and you're asking, you're seeking advice and comfort and you have no one to turn to. But you always have God to turn to. And notice his love, his compassion. They're not small. They're not even adequate. They're not just enough. They are abundant. That means there's plenty for me, there's plenty for you, there's plenty for everyone in need. Plenty for everyone crying out to God. In those times when you don't feel like saying thank you, in those times when the burdens of life seem too heavy to bear, especially when it's not your fault, that's when you cry out to God and especially for Him to come near to you. David prayed, God, be close to me. See, that's a prayer God always answers. God never leaves us. 
He never runs from us. He never hides from us. It's always us to do that. Remember, Adam and Eve were hiding. Jonah was running from God. But God was always there. Now, true, it feels sometimes God's not there. But when we pray, God, come, God is there. Because he's never left. That's a prayer of faith. Because sometimes we pray that when it feels like he's not there. That prayer of faith, God answers and makes his presence felt. So if you are praying because you're hurting, know this, that God will always listen, but you're never alone. I love the end of David's song. It began with his, his hurt. And he justified himself rightly that it wasn't his fault. He cried out to God in prayer, but he ends it with praise. Now I want you to think about this. As he's singing, as he's praying, God hasn't done anything yet. But David praises God in faith that God is going to answer his prayer. Listen how his song ends. But as for me, poor and in pain, let your salvation protect me, God. I will praise God's name with song and exalt him with thanksgiving. That will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with horns and hooves. The humble will see it and rejoice. You who seek God, take heart. For the Lord listens to the needy and does not despise his own who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah. They will live there and possess it. The descendants of his servants will inherit it. And those who love his name will live in it. David uses the eyes of faith. He can see his circumstances. He sees the enemy. He hears the insults. He sees the effects of them on his soul. But he doesn't remain focused there. He sees with his eyes of faith a day of deliverance when God will answer his prayer. And he sees even beyond that, and he sees to a farther future where God is ruling the city of Zion. And the Jews, his people, are rejoicing and living with God. He looks to the future future, and there he sees a perfect time, a perfect place. And that's why he can rejoice. That's why he can praise God. That's why he can give thanksgiving. He doesn't feel like it. The circumstances don't really deserve him praising God. But he does so anyway. Because he knows God is good. He knows God is powerful. He knows God is going to answer his prayer. And one day he knows God is going to bring complete justice. And there is going to be a perfect place for David to dwell. I love how David says that he is going to bring his song and he's going to praise God and exalt him with thanksgiving and that God's going to be more pleased with that than with a, an offering. I think this is the reason why we can go through the motions of worshiping God pretty easily. You can make yourself come to church. You can drag yourself here. You can sit in a pew you can even read the words on a screen. 
David could have made himself come to the altar and throw an animal on it. But when you are singing, and not again, not just reading words on a screen or in a hymn book, but you are singing, and you're singing loudly, and maybe you're singing animatedly, and you're clapping your hands, and you're raising your hands, and you're jumping, and you're shouting. Can you fake that? Not really. You're a really good actor if you can fake that. That comes from the inside. That comes from the heart. And so David says he's going to do that from his heart. He's going to exalt the Lord with thanksgiving. There's two verses in the New Testament where Paul commands us to be thankful. I come to them every Thanksgiving and try to come to them more than once a year. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5.20, Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians, I love the fact that we're always wondering what God's will is. Here, it's pretty simple. Be thankful. To be thankful in everything. I think that verse is easier to obey than the second one. Because I think it can be easy to give thanks in everything if we stop for a moment and think. There are, I guess, almost 7 billion people in the world now. I doubt if you really think about it, in any kind of measurement, is your life at the bottom of the list, <laughs> okay? I guess there's somebody there. I would hate to be that person. I guess we should pray for that person. Again, whatever metrics you're using, they are living the most miserable life on the planet. But I guarantee you, it's not you. So that means you can be thankful that you're not that guy. Okay, so, so at least that you can be thankful in everything. I know it doesn't take the pain away. I know it doesn't always bring comfort, but it does put things into perspective. That's why sometimes we do have to play a, a, a mental game to remind us of how great our life really is and not to take things for granted. I know we do. It's just human nature. But do you realize what a gift it is to be able to turn on a tap and have water come out? And not just water, you get hot water. That is not available to millions of people, I would even say billions of people on this planet. Did you really jump and shout and praise the Lord this morning when you took a hot shower? Maybe you did if it, you woke up and it was cold in your house. and you're saying, Thank you, Lord. But usually we just go in there and do it. And I know if we stopped for a moment, you could think of hundreds, maybe thousands of things all of us take for granted every day and don't realize what a gift they are. So in that way, whatever your circumstances are, you can think, well... This is bad, but I've got all these other things to be thankful for. I think that's how we can do 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Now, Ephesians 5.20 is a little different. Because Paul says, give thanks always for everything. And that covers it, doesn't it? He doesn't say, 
give thanks sometimes for most things. He says give thanks always for everything. So when tragedy, suffering, hurt, pain comes into your life, how can you thank God for it? He didn't say thank God in the middle of it. He said thank God for it. Thank God for the pain. Thank God for the suffering. Thank God for the tragedy. I think there's only one way you can do that. David gave us the clue in his song. He looked with the eyes of faith. We can thank God for the hurt, the pain, the suffering if we do this. We have faith to know that God is all-powerful. That means that whatever circumstance you're in, He can change it. Whatever relationship's broken, He can mend it. Whatever disease you have, He can heal it. We sang about that this morning. Also, God, if He's in control and all-powerful, you're in that circumstance because He allowed it. It wasn't a surprise to Him. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. And because He's powerful is not enough, because He could be a powerful God, but He could be an evil God. That would be terrible. He's a good God. To have faith to know that God is all-powerful, He's all good, that means that everything that happens is part of His perfect plan. And the eyes of faith not only see the plan as it unfolds today in this life, but also in eternity when we will be in heaven where we are told there is no crying, there is no pain, there is no sorrow, there is no death. That verse in Revelation right there gives us enough hope to say thank you God every moment of every day in every circumstance and for every circumstance that happens to us. Can you imagine a place, no crying, no suffering, no sorrow, no death? I, I can't really imagine it because those things happen every day in, our, in this world. In most of our lives it happens every day. If not every day, every week, something like that happens. And I'd say every day, there's a moment in your day where you feel sorrow or you cry, you hear someone has passed away. It's our experience every day. But one day, it'll never exist. And that's why we can praise God. Give Him thanks, even when we don't feel like it. Just the gift of life that He's given, the gift of life where you're able to breathe and live and move, that gift itself is enough to give thanks to God. Every morning when you wake up, you should be praising God, thanking Him. You're alive. And more than that gift of living here on this ugly, awful planet is the gift of eternal life that He gave you when you put your faith in Him. Because that's the real gift. That's the real life that we'll experience for eternity. So brothers and sisters, if you don't feel like giving thanks this week, think of David Although his life was awful, it wasn't his fault. He prayed for God to come near him because he knew God was the all-abundant, faithful, loving, compassionate God. And he also praised the Lord in the midst of all his trouble. Because with the eyes of faith, 
He could see a good God who was all-powerful that was going to answer his prayer and have a perfect future for him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. And we come this morning to give you thanks for all of your goodness. God, I know that we could spend not just moments, but we could spend hours. I know this congregation could testify all day long into tomorrow morning of how great you are and what you have blessed us with. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters carrying those burdens this morning who they feel like their life, they're just barely above water, or they feel like they're sinking in quicksand. Lord, I know that there are people here who feel that way this morning. I pray that right now, Lord, that you would, by your amazing grace, provide what they need. And that, Lord, you would lift them up out of that mud. You would uh, take that flood away. Lord, as they wait for you to do that, I pray, Lord, you would give them the heart, the eyes, the of faith to see, God, that you're still with them. You still love them. You have a plan for them. You have a future for them. Lord, I, I pray for all of us because, Lord, I know thankfully some of us today, life is going well and our burdens seem light. Lord, may we not fall into the trap of taking so much for granted. Lord, would you please make us more thankful more grateful to your many, many blessings. Lord, I know at this time of the year, especially on Thursday, we're cognizant of that. Lord, I know that even we'll gather around a table and many of us will give thanks for what you have given us. We'll wake up Thursday morning and even in the midst of chaos, we'll say, oh yeah, this is Thanksgiving Day. Thank you, Jesus. But I pray, Lord, that would be our life every day. A life of gratitude, thanksgiving, I do pray, Lord, that the little things, as you bring them to mind, as we drive in a car, as we live in a warm home, as we have a job to go to, as we have a spouse to hug, we have a, a child to sit on our lap, when we have food on our table to eat, when we have hot water to take a shower in, when we have a, a, a phone that's a small computer to look at, when we have uh, all these things in our house, Lord, when we have all of this, these little things, may they bring us joy thankfulness. And Lord, may you open our eyes to those around us who don't have, and may we share, and may we meet their need. So Lord, I pray for all this. I pray lastly, Lord, for any today who have the gift of life because they're breathing right here, but Lord, they don't have eternal life. They've never put their faith in you, Jesus. I pray that today they would know and believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for their sin. You rose to life from the grave. And that you offer to them a gift of eternal life. If they will only believe in you and accept it. I pray they would do so today. And I pray all these things, Jesus, in your powerful, good name. Amen. Please stand with me. We're going to sing, but it's not just a time of singing, not just a time of reading words on a screen. It's a time of responding to what the Lord has spoken to your heart. So I'll be here to pray with you. I especially encourage you to thank God right now as you sing. Thank Him and be grateful for what He's done. 
Also, if there is any need you have, come forward. I'll pray with you. But any commitment you want to make sure before the Lord, if you want to know more about how you can have that gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, I'll be here to tell you more and pray with you. Let's sing. Let's respond right now.